RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Laughlin, along with Chris Westcott today as we welcome you to the latest edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. And Chris, good to see you. Uh, the Devils off to a pretty good start. And today we get a chance to talk to the captain who helped the team to their last Stanley Cup final appearance, man who's making his mark now in media. So he's touching upon all the bases that we love to talk about, Bryce Salvador. Yeah, I, I I always love talking to Bryce. Um, you know, he's one. Of, he was actually one of the first broadcasters I met when I started here with the New Jersey Devils, and and we just started talking hockey. Uh, you know, about a year and a half ago, and and I really enjoyed that conversation. As a someone who went to a broadcast school, as someone who's in broadcasting, I am really interested to find out where he came up with his style because I f- I find him to be unique, Maddie. I, I think I think a lot of times. Uh, what we do uh, as broadcasters, we we get through the highlights. We may interject. You're really good at providing analysis in our post game show, and I and I love it. But he really breaks it down, and he has them stop the film on camera, and he'll tweet out screenshots. He scouts film far in advance. Uh, so I'm just interested to hear more about that because I think that's an interesting journey from someone who went from playing the sport to now really breaking it down. I agree with you. Too often we hear, and we're all guilty of it from time to time, but too often we hear, whether it's in hockey or football or baseball, someone telling us what I just saw. So even when there's a <laughs> replay, oh, look at this, it's a curveball, yeah. we drove it to left field, and the run came home. I know that. I'd like <laughs> you to tell me what happened a little bit more. Well, it's the Tony Romo effect too, right? Because his first year doing color, I mean, he was, everyone was like, wow, this is different. This is mm-hmm. new. I mean, he's basically telling us the play before it happens, but that's cool. I've never heard that before. So it's, it, you're exactly right, Maddie. I mean, we as sports fans, I've watched thousands of hockey games. I've watched thousands of football games. I don't necessarily need to know you know, the play that I just saw, it's great for play by play. It's, it's great for the moment, but if you're really going to break it down for me, break it down for me. Just don't repeat it over and over again. Yeah. And Bryce has been terrific and he has certainly carved out a niche in his work with the MSG networks. Of course, he's a member of the devil's family, not only as a former player, but he continues to work for the organization as an ambassador and has really done an awful lot of good work with the New Jersey Devils Hockey Academy and Youth Hockey in New Jersey. We're going to talk about the New Jersey Devils Hockey Academy presented by RWJ Barnabas Health as we kick off our conversation with Bryce Salvador. 
Bryce Salvador, welcome to Speak of the Devils. It's a pleasure to spend some time with you. I think our listeners know who you are, former captain of the Devils, currently part of the MSG Networks crew, but we're excited about the opportunity to get to know a little bit more about you and get the background story on how you've gotten involved in all the various aspects that you are. So thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm looking forward uh, to spending some time with you guys. A short while ago, Scott Niedermeyer was a guest on our podcast, and he said retirement wasn't what he thought it would be. Uh, he thought, oh, I'll just be a ski bum. And But then he said, well, my wife has a life and my kids have lives, and it's not quite that simple. He seems to have found the balance. Was there a transition period for you once you decided to hang up the skates? Yes, there, there definitely was. It's It's one of those things where you know, like Scott said, you kind of think, well, I'm just going to come and hang around and, and just kind of let things, you know, figure things out, you know, one day at a time. But you realize real quick that, uh, you know, like in my case, you know, I have two boys and, and with my wife is like their life, you know, their life didn't change. And so you're coming in and you're kind of in the way. And so I realized real quick that, uh, you know, I need to make sure that I stay active and, and get involved in some things. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 a it's a transition um, that takes, you know, takes some time to really, uh, you know, kind of navigate it. That's for sure. Was there time when you weren't exactly sure how this would unfold? I mean, the routine of being a player in the best league in the world and getting all the accolades and perks that come along with that is pretty impressive. And now you're Bryce Salvador, former player and civilian, so to speak. What was the transition like? Well, it was, it was definitely an adjustment when you're kind of, you know, you're, you know, everything that you have to do, every, your day structured, where you're going, you're told what to do, what to think, what to eat sometimes. And, uh, and to where you don't have a schedule. And I just tell people where, you know, when you really are in that moment, when you don't, uh, don't know what you're going to do, um, I kind of now almost equate it to what we're all experiencing in this current uh, environment, COVID, where you know a lot of people are saying, "Okay, well, what are we doing?" All right? When you don't, you know, you're not driving somewhere, you're not going to work every day, you're at home, and so it was a little bit of that period for myself, to be quite frank. You're doing kind of like, "Okay, what am I doing?" And um, but then, you know, as time goes on, you kind of, you know, you fall back. Okay, you know, what's your passions? And you know, it's always been hockey, and and what do I love? And and everything, you know, was revolving around hockey. So. Uh, I really got involved in, in youth hockey and then obviously back with the Devils. Was there a point in your playing career that you thought, I could talk hockey for a living on camera? Did you ever think I could handle this? I mean, I'm guessing that you could handle yourself pretty well in post-game interviews, um, but uh, it's a different animal breaking down the sport in front of a camera and viewers. Uh, Chris, that's a great question. Everyone asked me that and to be I actually never thought I'd be in broadcasting <laughs> or in front of a camera talking all the time. And it was just one of these things that organically happened. Um, it's, uh, you know, McLean, he was, he was doing the position that I was. Um, and then last moment he got the job, assistant coaching job for the Arizona Coyotes. And, and even when that happened, I wasn't even thinking that, you know, that when he leaves that that job position would open. Um, it was just a matter of my wife was like, Hey, someone was saying that Bryce, you know, on Twitter, someone was saying that, Hey, why don't you, you know, ask about what, you know, about that position with MSG and McLean. I'm like, what are you talking about? So then I literally just said, I don't know. So I, 
you know, kind of reached out, you know, and talked to the devils. And, and they said, it, actually, coincidentally, that day, we're just talking about who could maybe fill that position as the story goes. And my name was one of them. And uh, so the fact that I happened to actually have called in and said, ah, you know what, maybe, um, yeah, let's give this a shot. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you know, kind of maybe put me ahead of some other people that they were looking at. Um, but it was a, it was definitely a, an interesting process to, to say the least. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I've definitely been learning on the, on the fly here. So um, it's, it's uh, but I think because um, it happened organically uh, is why I'm enjoying it. Right. It wasn't like I was aggressively trying to pursue it. It just kind of happened organically and I've, you know, really enjoyed it. Do you remember your first broadcast? What was that like? It was chaos. <laughs> it was, <absolutely laughs> chaos. It was uh, it's, I, 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 it's, I would say it's a be like throwing your, your child into the water and you're in, into a pool and say, can you swim? Um, it was, uh, it was a preseason game. Uh, MSG always does uh, the Rangers game in, in the preseason and, and I get up there and, you know, and, and you, you know, I got an earpiece at that time. It wasn't a custom one, so it didn't fit. I got really small ears. Um, so it was falling in and out. People are talking, they're counting down to the commercial breaks. And, you know, there's two different cameras and people are waving their hands and there's lights and, and you just get to a point you're like, you know, are you going to make it? <laughs> right? so, um, and it just, I just always remember like, you know, four, three, two, one. And you're like, one to what right <laughs> and then we're live right um so it was a, it was definitely uh as close to being nervous in a in a real game environment that i've been in a very long time you talk well, any, about any price any broadcaster could uh just one more for me maddie oh, on no, this topic no uh, just any, any broadcaster can attest to it takes time to find their cadence it takes time to find their style it takes time to find their voice for you i'm very interested because some studio analysts they might just talk about the stats they might just you know talk about okay these are the highlights of the game let's take you through it kind of what i do i'm throwing myself under the bus with maddie here but you talk you break down plays and and, and i find this very interesting and you dig deeper than the normal analyst and and i Really, really enjoy that. You did a stat about offensive possession time with Jack Hughes to start the season. And that kind of blew up on the internet a little bit uh, because people didn't really think about that, like how much time players spend in the offensive zone with the puck. Where do you get your ideas for that? Where do you get your style from? Why did you choose to be that type of host and analyst? Those also great questions. Um, well, what it really stemmed back to was when I kind of got into the position and, and then, uh, you know, the first season and then I'm critiquing guys that I played against, um, you know, was in a couple of cases, you know, their former captain. And so if I've got to the point where I was going to say something, you know, potentially negative to Travis Ajak, I just didn't want to be some hypothetical comment. I wanted to, okay, if I'm going to say that he's not having a very good game in the face-off circle, okay, let's make sure that I'm, I'm, getting the actual stats okay or if i'm saying that you know he's he's turning the puck over a lot well let's make sure that he actually is um and kind of getting a little bit away from just the eye test right i wanted to just kind of validate that what i'm seeing is actually happening 
And then what I also realized is that, you know, it was a couple of years since I played. And even in that, when I started, like the game evolved in just those couple of years that I retired. And when I got between the benches, I was just like, wow, like my mind thinks I can play or, you know, my body thinks I can play, but my mind is seeing that, wow, like everybody's jumping up to play. It's all about puck possession, you know, getting back to your comment there. And, and really what is everyone focusing on? What are the buzzwords? And so I was just fortunate that when I, uh, through my career that I kind of came in with the video breakdowns. So I was literally on the plane, getting a DVD, being burned, putting it in my computer um, and starting to look at the game that way. So as I really evolved into my position, I just saw that I was I'm able to really quickly see the breakdowns um, that's happening because I just, you know, I just lived it. Um, and then, and then what I realized on air, things that I was saying, um, a lot of people weren't understanding. Um, so then I was like, oh, okay. I just realized that I'm taking so much for granted. So, so let's kind of break some of this stuff down. Like I used to say PPPK and everyone's like, Bryce, please say power play and penalty kill. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's just too fast, you know, the, some of the language. So then. Um, so that's kind of really where it started as, you know, my first season, second season, just by saying, okay, well, you know, here's a low to high play. Right. And that's, you know, obviously the puck going from the offensive zone below the goal line up to your point. Everyone sees that, but really no one's heard the terminology of really what that is. Um, and so I just figured, so I just started to see that people really were enjoying, you know, kind of some of that more thorough explanation. Um, and we say a lot of things about puck possession. Well, what does that mean? Or why is it important? Um, so we can show the stats, right? That, hey, Jack Hughes had a, you know, his puck possession was a minute. Okay, well, compared to who? Why is that important? Well, last year, you know, the Devils didn't have the puck very much in the offensive zone. And so that's why they were spending a lot of time in the defensive zone. So you can really start to correlate and really, um, instead of me just saying, you know, the Devils didn't generate very much offense, well, here's why, because they were spending three, four minutes less on average per game in the offensive zone. So, so then things that we, we would understand to be logical, well, if you're spending more time in your defensive zone, you're going to give up more goals. It's just nice to now, you know, quantify that with actual stats. You know, the Devils were spending an extra two minutes or whatever it was last year in their zone above other teams, right? So that's why you have, you know, a very difficult time so um so it was just kind of really evolved um of just looking at some things that i thought were really important uh for people to maybe understand some of the strategies of the game um, um without getting too complicated and then as you guys know like the stats are you, you know as much as i was more of a an eye test type of guy when i grew up you know how when i played you're now seeing that the advanced stats you know when they do marry with the eye test can be powerful. And so that's why you're seeing a lot more people with the analytics. And, and I agree. And first off, kudos to you for explaining hockey terminology. We are guilty too often of being insiders. And I feel that way when I watch an NFL or college football game, because it's, well, he's the Mike, he's the Sam, it's a two gap. He's got this responsibility. Hey, please explain what you're talking about. I mean, it, it, it I, I can appreciate the game better if you at least explain some of those terms. So kudos to you for doing it in hockey. But back to the eye test versus the new 
numbers that we're seeing, I think you hear a lot of, and I'll say old timers saying, well, the eye test will tell me all your numbers are doing is supporting what my eyes see. Have you found though that there are instances when the eye test and the numbers disagree and you say, you know what, this player is not as good as you think he is, or this circumstance is not as successful as you think it is because of thus and such. Yeah, it happens all the time, especially when you're trying to quantify a person's value that he brings with a lot of intangibles, right? Like, you know, if you just look at a player like Miles Wood, like you can't necessarily measure what his speed does, right? You can see some results, okay, the four check turnovers, but but you can see with the items, like his speed is an asset. Now you may say, well, when he was on the ice, you know, his course, the shot attempts against, and, you know, you can really find ways to say maybe where he's not productive. Um, but but you also have to understand everyone has a piece that will fit on this team um, that really helps the whole team go. That's maybe not that advanced analytics will not support, right? A lot of players, you know, will get beat down on their, you know, how much time, you know, they say shot attempts at games, right? Or they'll say that's Corsi. Um, but if you got a defenseman like uh, Murray or Kulikov that are playing against top offensive forwards on the other teams and they're playing 24 minutes, well, yes, you'd like their shot attempts and to be positive, but if a goal wasn't scored against and you guys ended up still winning, like you just got to appreciate the win, right? Um, now, over the course of the season, um, you know, you could maybe extrapolate and say, hey, like, okay, well, Bryce's, you know, his, his shot attempts are not very good over the course of the season. Um, and, you know, the team was very bad in the defensive zone. Then you can kind of go back and say, well, maybe, okay, there's some, you can correlate some of those things. But I think uh, if you really take the numbers and try to make dramatic changes every game, I think that's where you can, at least in my opinion, you can run into some troubles. Yeah, it's it's a trend. Sense? Yeah, no, it does because it, it's a trend. The, the, and even the, the real analytics guys will tell you that one game doesn't tell you anything. You just compile the numbers, and now you get a bigger picture to figure out which way you're going, either as a team or with an individual. So, what do you like about this year's team? You mentioned Miles Wood, and obviously, as we record this, it's a day after his two goal performance <laughs> in Buffalo, and that line used its speed, used its size too, uh, to create havoc and help the devils to a victory. So overall, what do you think about this team so far? Well, I, what I've really liked is I would say like the mental development that we've seen in all the young players, just, it it almost seems like they feel that they can play to their identity. uh, They, that they have a purpose. um, And then if they make a mistake, you know, they're not going to be benched. And so, I give a lot of credit to the coaching staff or, you know, Coach Ruff and, and obviously Recky and Elaine Nazardine. And so because of that, I, I don't feel like the, the team feels all this pressure that they have to be perfect. Um, and, and as a result, you're seeing a lot of strong performances from players that we just didn't think were going to be there. Right. If, if uh, you know, if we all said, Hey, we're nine games into the season at the time of this recording that, you know, <laughs> we say uh, Eric Comrie would have got a win in Buffalo on the back-to-backs. Scott Wedge would have would have started five games. Black would be at a lineup. 
you know, Zaka, you know, we don't, or, you know, Zaka starts being, you know, maybe not as good as we want in the first couple of games. Uh, you have Sajak out of the lineup. He sure isn't that, you know, Brat didn't come in until recently. Just all these things, we can go down the list, Maddie and Chris, like we, and to be four, three, and one, we, no one would believe that. And so, and, and so I'm really impressed with the way they're handling that from that perspective, because it just helps the psychological part of the game for all these young guys. Cause it's um, that to me was the most important step that I needed to see this season was, can we have growth in that part of the game? Because, uh, you know, it's going to be very challenging. You know, it's a rat. It's going to be just a, a sprint to the finish here. Um, and so there's going to be ups and downs, but now because we've had a strong initial nine games, the, the guys can always point back to that. Um, and, and I think also, you know, I'm not so much worried about the wins and the losses and the points. I'm just more of like individual performances as well, right? So because we've had success and Jack Hughes has been off to a great start, like that just pays dividends for him personally. You know, he's hearing his name with the other elite players in the league. He's always viewed himself that way. So you wanted him to have some of that success. So I'm glad that that's happened for him. Uh, and, and especially without especially with Heischer out of the lineup so that he knows that, Hey, I can be a driver in situations where other star players are not in the lineup. I think that's critical for his development. Um, and then you look at, you know, Ty Smith as another young kid. Uh, he's had success offensively on the score sheet. That's critical for him. So now he knows, Hey, my game is transferring to the NHL. I'm able to get pucks through. I'm able to command the power play. Yes. And he, he will even admit that, defensively, you know, maybe I'm not as strong, maybe I'm not able to, you know, stop plays as I would like to, but he's never played against men before. So that's just, that's a process that is going to take time. And, but at least his, the strength of his game, he's having success. So that's important. Um, and so you just look at those two guys and obviously McLeod, you know, Bashin and Sharon Govich, they're, you know, big goal there. So, um, so I'm more focused about that development of the young kids. And we're seeing that because this team's going to win. And we've all been saying it when those young guys are ready to win. Bryce, I wanted to ask you a little bit. You kind of already mentioned it uh, about the comfortability and knowing that you're not going to be benched. A lot of that is because of Lindy Ruff and his philosophy and how approachable he is and how he kind of manages players. We, I don't know if you saw it, but we had a behind the scenes video last night in the locker room of him just absolutely <laughs> obliterating PK Subban with just the best roast. Uh, no, it was great. Um, he's very loose, uh, which I don't know if you would expect from a guy who's six all time in NHL wins, who's a little bit older but he comes in, he's loose, he's approachable, and I and I find he's malleable to his players and, and his systems and what he can present. Why, in your mind, if you're making the argument for it, was Lindy Ruff the right hire for this group of players right now? Is it just because of what you said before in terms of they needed somebody that was going to let them play and let them develop at their own pace? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question, and... I really thought about it because when I first heard his name as the head coach, I kind of, I'll be honest, I was kind of like, hmm, that's an interesting choice. And I just kind of reserved judgment because I didn't know what to expect from him. And immediately the fact that he was saying, I was leaning on Elaine Nazardine, uh, Tom Fitzgerald, I was taken. And as soon as I started hearing him say that he was listening to everybody and, and evaluating, 
I immediately started to to feel really good about this because when you have a coach like that, that's look at his legacy, he's pedigree, like he's he's done pretty much everything other than win a Stanley Cup, and and to come in and say, hey, I'm ready to listen, to be malleable, like you said, to you know not come in and think I know everything was really encouraging. And last game, he even said, you know, if Tom Fitzgerald, you know, made the comment and maybe, you know, have a passion in the cloud play together. And I honestly can't remember my career, a coach, you know, especially someone like with his stature saying, Hey, you know, I'm taking input and giving credit to those people. Right. And so, so, so that is just really a big reason why I think these young kids are having success. Secondly, when you have Mark Recchi and a guy like Ruff behind the bench, and this is not taking away anything from Elaine Nazareth, um, these young kids are going to respect that, right? They're going to say, when these two guys speak, they've, they've coached the best players in the world. They've been there. They've done it. And it's not taking anything away from anybody else that's been a coach for the Devils. I'm just, where my point is, is that when you have such a young team that's really trying to find their way, you need mentor, you need veteran mentors in, in that locker room. And, and, and they have to have the confidence to be able to go to PK and say, hey, <laughs> thank goodness you weren't minus tonight because, you know, uh, you know a young coach isn't going to be able to do that, right? So he can do that and everybody in the dressing room is going to laugh. And that right there is, should tell everybody everything they need to know about Lindy Ruff and why these young kids are having success because you have a coach that's coming in there, right. That has the credibility that can say what he wants to say respectfully and get everyone to buy in. And, and, you know, it's flat out, you know, told he's shown the young kids too, that you go out there like in on the, on the Island, you know, I think it was McLeod when he turned it over and at the end of the period. And I don't know if it was Everly who ended up scoring or was at this time, but, and then he started them right out. They went right back out. So when you have a veteran coach that knows, that has confidence in where he's at in his career, he understands that I don't need to bury this kid because yes, I want to win, but if I don't win this game tonight or, or this, if we have a bad stretch, I'm confident in where I'm in my career. Where a lot of the, we'll say other coaches, especially if they're younger in the league, they have to win. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Like, you don't have time for young kids to develop if you're breaking into the league as a young coach. You being immediately scrutinized. Um, and so, um, so, so I, you know, a long-winded answer to, you know, why I've now seen why Coach Ruff was an excellent choice, you know, regardless of how the season finishes, but more in particular for these young kids. So you kind of touched on it again, I, and you're leading me right into my next questions and my follow-ups here. Culture, I, I want to ask your opinion on culture, and, and I think you touched on it. A lot of what you were saying were buzzwords for culture. But last night, uh, we're, as we're taping this, uh, Eric Comrie says, who's a guy who he jokes, you know, I've been picked up off waivers, I'm used to it. He's been on several teams, several rosters, in several locker rooms, and he, go, and he said, uh, tonight I looked around the locker room and I told the guys, this is fun to be here. Um, you, you get the joke from Lindy Ruff. You kind of get, you see, uh, there was another clip of like, uh, Michael McLeod swaggering into the locker room and guys hooting and hollering. I mean, it just seems different than, uh, last year. 
how important is culture and, and evolving it over time as you try and build a winner and maybe even more instilling it when you have a young roster, because then they know what it is and they can carry it forward. Well, our culture is everything. The locker room is everything. How everyone is interacting inside that dressing room. And, and I give a lot of credit in that situation to be, you know, would, would also come from Elaine Nazardine. Right. So he has a lot of familiarity with those existing younger kids, those players. So by having him there, that kind of, you know, would have helped the younger guys also during the transition of when they brought in some, you know, when you bring in the Lindy Ruff and Mark Recchi, like is, you know, their experience could also be intimidating. Right. So Elaine Azardine's great guy. He's funny. You know, he really breaks the ice. So you have that piece in there, makes the young kids feel comfortable. And then, Lindy Ruff and Mark Recchi, not by them being approachable, by them, you know, helping shape the culture and telling everybody, hey, this is how we want to, you know, what we expect, you know, and then being consistent on, we'll say the discipline aspect of it, right? How he manages ice time, he's consistent with his communication, um, then allows everybody to, to relax inside that locker room, right? Because you genuinely feel like a team. And then also like, there's not as much, I would say the appropriate amount of pressure is on this team. Um, last year, you know, ever since, you know, the Devils went to, you know, to the, the playoffs a couple of years ago, Taylor Hall, it was like all of a sudden, okay, we got to win a Stanley Cup now. And they, you know, they didn't have the team to win the Stanley Cup, right? It was just the pressure went to the roof. And so you saw the last couple of seasons, they could just, you could sense it. it was between the benches. Every time a goal got scored against them, every time somebody go the right way, like it's just the demeanor. Everybody went down because all this pressure was on them that wasn't appropriate for where they were at that point in time. And yes, you know, you brought in PK, you brought in Simmons, you brought in pieces to try and take that next step. But as we now see, the team just wasn't really there. You know, we had some issues in the goaltending, and so you know, you had a, a pressure that just. Uh, wasn't like I said appropriate for where it was. Now this year, you have kids, you know, you have a team that's nobody expects them to do anything, right? So I see that as a perfect environment to start to learn how to win, right? Because if you have a hiccup, right, you're not going to be immediately, you know, frowned upon or, or disciplined or benched or scratched. Hey, you're developing. So then now these kids are starting to learn. So that helps breed into that culture and everybody just, you know, getting along and feeling good about themselves. And you've brought up a good point because of the different circumstances. Look, let's be honest. John Hines was yeah. coaching for his life last year. Yeah. He couldn't afford, he couldn't afford for a young player to make a mistake and put him back on the ice. He needed to tighten things up to give himself in his mind, the best chance to win. So it's an entirely different circumstance. Yeah. And, and that can't be overlooked in any sports scenario. When the pressure is on, you have to win now. It is far different than this learn-to-win phase that you talked about that Tom Fitzgerald has addressed. It's different. But the benefit is these young guys can blossom under some cover, right? They, they, yeah. they, they, they don't have to worry about looking up and where are we in the standings, how many points are we behind. Although right now, as we record this, which is about the third <laughs> time and probably not the last that will say it, just so we date things, Um Things are going great, and it's wonderful to see, and credit to all involved. So you've mentioned youth 
of the team, but now I want to talk about youth hockey in general. You're very involved with uh, the New Jersey Devils and all the great work that they do uh, with youth hockey. Tell us a little bit about uh, the New Jersey Devils Hockey Academy. Oh, yes. Well, that's a, a fun project that uh, that looks to be coming out pretty soon. That uh, As we record this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep saying we, it, Matty. Yeah, keep saying that. It will be, uh, everything will come out soon. But anyway. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, well, just talking about youth hockey. I, I have a strong passion for youth hockey. It's, it's been one of those things. I have a 11 year old boy that really loves hockey. And so it's, uh, it's been something to be, you know, to, to be nice to be around and, and working with young kids, um, at, you know, at the young ages, it's just something I enjoy doing, whether they be, you know, five, six, seven years old. Um, you know, it's just, it's something that I always reflect back on is what was, some of the most memorable moments of my young life was, was in youth hockey. So, um, so that's kind of where the passion comes from. And, and then throughout the years, I've just really, you know, wanted to find different ways to, to give back and to help, you know, pass on, you know, knowledge and experiences that I've had. And, and, and so the hockey Academy, uh, when that idea came up and, you know, from Kevin Fox and, and Thomas, uh, Dreisbach, it was it was just something that I was really excited to be a part of. It's uh, it's one of those things where you can, you know, bring all the Devils Youth Initiatives to one place, and where you can expose hockey to the to the grassroots, to so the kids that are just getting the kids and the families that are getting into the game, um, that want to learn about how to you know stick cattle, how to shoot, uh, uh, you know, whether they want to learn a little bit about nutrition, health and wellness, um, and whether they want to you know get involved in ball hockey. Um, there's just so many fun things that, you know, that the kids can have access to uh, once they're exposed to it. And so uh, the Devils have done a phenomenal job with just, you know, all the alumni they're involved, whether it be the learn to play, the learn to skate um, initiatives they do. I'm not actively involved in those two programs, you know, Bruce Driver and, um, and, and Thomas and, and Kevin, they do a great job of kind of pioneering those initiatives. But um, when we get back to the Hockey Academy, it's just one of these one of these innovative platforms that uh, that the Devils will be able to continually build, Maddie. Um, and the content doesn't ever die; like it's always there. And and as new kids and families come to the platform, you know they can always the content's always relevant for them. It is the uh, Devils Hockey Academy presented by RWJ Barnabas Health and the. Address is NewJerseyDevils.com backslash academy. As we record this, it's not yet been launched. As this is posted, it is very close to being launched. So <laughs> check it out. And if for some reason there's a little bit of a gray area, check it out tomorrow, the next day, whatever. Uh, what's the coolest part? What's What are some of the cool parts that you did? I know there's instructional videos. And you discussed some of the things that people can get there. Uh, what did you really sink your teeth into? Well, really helping them. Uh, that being the Devils build out the, the ball hockey initiative, um, the Devils Street Hockey Program. That was really fun. We I think we have about 15, 16 videos in there, just, uh, you know, starting with the basics of, you know, stick handling and, and uh, shooting and, and just some general exercises for some young kids that want to get involved in hockey. Um, and then we built out an extensive uh, library of videos of, you know, playing with a real puck. Uh, so shooting, stick handling, you know, how to take all the different shots, uh, making passes. And, and then there's a whole athletic 
element and physical activity, some, you know, some basic workouts. I know there's some, I think, uh, there's some workouts in there as well. And then uh, JAG One Physical Therapy, we did a collaboration with them. Um, they did a lot of injury preventative uh, content and videos. So, uh, so we hope that there's a, there's a little bit of something for everyone. Um, I know that there's the STEM program. There's some content from that in there. And, and then, you know, most importantly, um, there's a lot of, there's going to be evolving and ongoing content from the, from the current devils themselves, right? A lot of motivational messages, you know, on different, you know, topics. And there's Tom Fitzgerald's got some stuff in there. And I'm sure you're going to just see Coach Ruff maybe, you know, put some content on there as well. And, and I'm, and I'm sure we're going to see stuff from you as well. It's just the, uh, and you too, Chris, because the whole goal of this platform is to really build a community of the devils and invite everybody, um, that is a devil's fan or wants to be part of the devil's family um, to this platform and that there will be something there for them. It's just not the hockey element, right? It's the life. It, there's education. It's, you know, maybe, maybe you'll do something, you and I'll do something on broadcasting and commentary. Like who knows Love it. what could evolve from, from this. And I think that's what makes it really uh, special and unique is that um, as the ideas flow from from you guys and from the devils themselves. Um, this platform will keep evolving. What's more uh, intimidating, doing those videos for all these kids or breaking on a hockey play on MSG? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, you know, the kids. I'm telling you, like the kids. Is, uh, you know, because you want to do it so right and perfect for them, and you know, and uh, when I was doing some of those videos, it's just like, ah, oh, it's not right. Okay, what are we doing here? What's how's this looking? So. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, you want to do it right for the kids. And so I feel a lot of pressure doing those videos. Not to be uh, overshadowed is actually, uh, you know, it's just a bullet point um, on this website, but I think it's very important is uh, diversity in hockey and uh, with the learn to play program and hockey and NJ, obviously the devils are very involved in trying to grow the sport and grow people that are participating and, and let everyone know through the NHL as well, that hockey is for everyone. How important are those programs at the community level? The NHL can run them at the national level, and that's great. But how important is it to really drill down and try and reach um, new hockey fans, new hockey players in your community, and really try and spread the sport that way? Well, it's so important for those initiatives. And I think that the NHL, you know, as at the top has done a very, very, uh, very nice job of of really spreading awareness and growing the awareness of all these different initiatives. And, and, but to your point, Chris, you know, it takes the, the team itself, the New Jersey Devils in Newark, in New Jersey, really being the leaders of, of these programs, the learn to skate programs, the hockey is for everyone initiatives, like without the New Jersey Devils and the alumni and the teams and, and, and yourself and Maddie and, and Amanda and everyone else is such a great job of really growing the game, it doesn't go anywhere, right? It, the NHL, um, as, 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 excellent, as an excellent job that they've done, uh, they can't do it all, right? And so this is why, and even you put hockey in Jersey as well, they've done such a fabulous job of really, you know, bringing the game to thousands of kids in, in Newark and all the surrounding cities. So, um, you know, we want to bring the game to as many people. We want everyone to feel um, that it's their game and that they, they belong and they have access to, to hockey because it's, I just, I keep going back to myself. I, I, 
it was what I cherished the most of my childhood was playing hockey and, and being around hockey players. And so uh, I know how special it was for me. And I, that's why I'm such a, you know, an advocate for, you know, diversity and inclusion and all those initiatives that, uh, you know, that you guys are doing such an excellent job being the New Jersey Devils are growing here in the state. Are you seeing the impact of that or how are you seeing the impact of that? Because there's two components, it seems to me. It's one, giving the opportunity for people to find out about the game and something to do. So, hey, I can sign my kid up and he can learn to skate and it's a great activity and he'll skate for the rest of his life, whether he becomes Bryce Salvador or whether he becomes Jack Hughes. That's a whole other story, but it's an activity. On the other hand, we do want to grow the game. We want to embrace people to come in to our building, to listen to our games, to watch our games, to buy jerseys and to become Devils fans. Are you seeing a little bit of that as well, that these programs have helped in that area? Uh, definitely. I've, I've seen, I don't have the exact numbers, but for sure it's, um, you know, when you're going into schools and people are recognizing you and they're recognizing the Devils jerseys and they're, um, they're saying, you know, Heischer or they're saying PK Subban or, you know, when you start hearing that, at least for myself, you start to see that it, it's organically growing. Um, and, and I just, you know, I've been in New Jersey since 2000, what was it? Seven. Um, and, and you just see the, the initiative that the organization has, has put in place. Like, you know, New Jersey devils, you know, the players, the alumni, um, they're going to the communities, right. And, and they're going to the schools and they're, you know, they're inviting people to come and whether it be the mobile tour going out and, you know, down to, uh, down to the beach there, which I think is one of everyone's fun, uh, best events. I could tell you in five, six, seven, eight years down the road, you know, all, everything that, you know, the devil's organization is doing um, will definitely be evident in, in the future. And that's a great place to end our podcast. Bryce, thanks so much for your time. Uh, you educated us. You let our fans know a little bit more about what's going on on the ice in your role at MSG Networks. And uh, we really appreciate the work that you've done in terms of uh, helping out and develop and build out that innovative New Jersey Devils Hockey Academy presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Thanks again. Uh, thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Chris, for having me, guys. It was fun. Thanks, Bryce. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, put one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. 
Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Boy, I love that conversation we had, Chris, with Bryce Salvador. The depth that he can bring to coverage of hockey is something that Devils fans are going to appreciate for a long, long time. Yeah, I I like that he decided he wanted to kind of come up with his own way of doing things. I love his origin story, if you want to call it that, where he talked about how it all started. Well, if I'm going to criticize someone like Travis Zajac, who I played with, I need to be able to back it up. And then he evolved it into people telling him, what does this lingo mean? What what does this language mean in hockey? Please explain it some more. And he's taken that and he's run with it and he's created his own broadcast style and and I, I enjoy it, and I think Devils fans enjoy it. No doubt about that, and it's interesting how his TV career began, not something that he pursued, but a change with John McClain taking an assistant coaching position with Arizona, and then, hey, my wife is telling me my name's not on the list. Maybe I should make a phone call. Anyway, it's, it's a great story <laughs> of luck, persistence, and all that sort of good stuff. So his position in Devils hockey history is secured because – he was a captain, an honored role, and he was a part of the team that went to the 2012 Stanley Cup final. Our next guest, well, it's Catherine Bogart's guest, did not have that level of success as a New Jersey Devil, but certainly has a prominent role not only in the team's history, but also in hockey history. And so we will join Catherine and her conversation with Claude Vilgrain. Claude, thank you for taking some time today. Let's get started all the way back when you first started playing hockey. What do you remember when you first picked up a stick and got on the ice and learned how to skate? Well, uh, I don't think I can forget that. Uh, you know, my parents come from a, from Haiti and they came over. I was little, but it's only uh, when I turned um, eight years old that on my eight year eight year birthday that. One of my uncles bought me a tap tape, uh, table hockey game. And that's the first time uh, I, I, I really did anything about hockey. I never really watched it. So we spent the whole night playing. And then uh, at the end, when everybody left, uh, there was a game on TV. That was Chicago against Montreal. And that's the first time I sat down and looked at it. And then when the game was over, I turned to my parents and I said, uh, I want to play hockey. So... Uh, by the next uh, uh, winter, I, uh, I uh, started to play hockey. Uh, I went to a tryout. I only had a stick, skates, and pants, but no uh, shin pads. And they told my parents uh, that I needed shin pads. So so I went back home, and my mom found two uh, Sears catalogs, and she put in my socks, taped them, and uh, Good thing I had those because I couldn't stand on my feet. But uh, by the by the time I could I could stand and skate the next year, uh, I was skating a circle around players. So, so my story was basically I le- uh, I lived about uh, I would say uh, five minutes from uh, the outdoor rink, and I would put my uh, toque on the afro on my afro and my skates, my gloves, and. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was I was putting my my toque, yeah, and then I start skating in the street on asphalt, ice, and snow, and and uh, skate all day. So that's how I started, and that's how I got pas- passionate about the game. 
And after that passion started and you really started skating more and playing more, how did your path go from learning to love the game and learning to love the sport all the way to the NHL? Well, you know, I, 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 I dreamt playing hockey all day long. I was at school. I was thinking about hockey. I was on a breakaway in every class and I, 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 I would, uh, I would uh, review in my head the games that I saw on a Saturday night when Montreal played. So hockey was in my mind the whole time, and I couldn't wait to go to the rink to play. And then, uh, and I, I started to play. And then it's uh, it's almost like I was always one of the best players. And one things when I played, I um, I would make a double teams or a triple team. But because my buddies didn't make the team, so I would go down the level or two with them. And then I. Uh, I was always the best player, scoring a lot of points, but at least I guess uh, I had a lot of touches and I was getting better and I had fun playing with my friends. And so when I was uh, 16, 17, uh, we, uh, our team wasn't that good and we made the playoffs and we upset, uh, upset everybody. And, and then uh, we ended up um, going to provincials. One thing I have to say that my dad told me that uh, uh, I, that would, that would be my last two years of hockey and try to pick up another sport. He didn't want me to go to the junior level or anything. School was important for him. He wanted me to make sure I focused for university. So that was my last tournament. So I give it all. And then for some reason, there was some scout. I got drafted and I got invited to camp and uh, I made a team and the rest is history. And during your time playing in the NHL, the majority of it was with the New Jersey Devils. What do you remember of your experience playing in New Jersey and with that Devils team? Yeah, so what I remember, well, that was one of the first year we had the Russians coming over, Fetisov, Kazatonov. And, uh, you know, that was the first time that uh, I was starting a season on an NHL team at my jersey Uh my name on my jersey, I was on the ice on opening night and I was playing with Claude Lemieux and Peter Stashny, which is a legend, you know, from being from Quebec City, I saw him play uh, for the Nordique. So I always remember the, the, the feeling I had and my parents in the stands, like being proud of me. So uh, playing with great players like Scott Steven, Brandon Shannon and those guys, that's pretty good. For you, what was your experience overall, though, playing in the NHL, especially as you were a role model for a lot of younger players who were seeing some of their first diversity in the game? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this was a, a dream of mine. I wanted to really uh, become a hockey player. And uh, if you look at my hockey DB, all my stats over the years, uh, there's something to be proud of. I know there's a lot of people that... Uh, would trade in with me uh, for all those years of uh, playing hockey, the Olympics, NHL, and playing in Europe. But uh, I always, you know, thinking back, reflecting on my career, it wasn't easy from the time I uh, I was peewee and I would go to tournament and uh, N-word uh, was uh, spoken a lot. And uh, even like playing pro, try to make teams, try to understand why I wasn't making a team and why uh, the fans were so hard on me. Uh, that was, uh, my journey was uh, pretty bumpy at times, a lot of ups and down, but uh, I'll never trade for that experience for anything that made me a better person and build character. And I had to, I had the chance to play in the best league of the world. 
And on top of that, I played two years with the national teams and I traveled, the hockey made me travel the world. So from uh, Alaska to Japan and across all the small town USA and Canada. With that experience, was there ever a moment where someone came up to you and said, hey, I had watched you growing up? Or was there any moment that it really showed you that you were a role model to other people, especially because in the moment, you might not realize it when you're just in the throes of an NHL or professional hockey season. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're a junior, you get drafted and you want to get drafted to the NHL, then you get drafted and then you're trying to make the team you, you up and down the minors and up to the NHL. But, uh, you know, uh, your focus is trying to make the team. You focus in uh, being the best as you can and getting ready for training camp. So in my head, since I, I was the only black uh, player everywhere I played since I'm novice to uh, at that point. So I never really realized that other people m might be looking up to me. And it's not until I was playing in Switzerland and I, I was uh, I was going to play in the Spanglick Cup. Uh, we had a couple of kids uh, coming from college, uh, Martin Saint-Louis and Jamal Myers. And uh, Jamal was uh, uh, around me a lot and asking, what's up, brother? <laughs> and he goes, hey, Claude, me and the boys back in college, we had we had the game night when we we watched all your games with the Devils. We uh, we brought some pops, some chips, and uh, we were so excited that there was somebody like us playing. And then, and then that's the first time I realized that uh, – that, uh, uh, somebody is watching me and uh, maybe I'm as idol or whatever, but that was a special and weird, surreal moment. Uh, and uh, after the tournament, I had some issues with fans and, and then I was on, a TV, on TV a lot. And uh, after that, a lot of parents came in with their kid, either uh, interracial kid or black kids and thanking me for standing up for, uh, you know, equity and respect and everything. So again, I was I was taken back a little bit. And on my way back here in Calgary, uh, uh, Jerome McGinley was going to play his first NHL game. So I made sure buying tickets and and sat in the stand and watch him play. And then that's the first time I sat back and watched another black uh, player uh, playing hockey. Uh, and uh, I was pretty proud and. Uh, that's, and that, and especially when Jerome mentioned a lot that he was look looking up to me uh, uh, as a young kid. So um, that's that that year. I think the year was two thousand one. I think I'm not too sure, but that's I realized. Uh, uh, you know, I made something good a kid's life. What impact does that have on you when you think back to that impact that you had nowadays when, you know, you're out of the league, you're retired from professional hockey, but what sticks with you from that moment that you were a role model and you brought change to the sport? Yeah, I never had that chance to have a role model really. Uh, as um, as a young hockey player, my my only idol I had was uh, Guy Lafleur and Guy Lafleur was uh, a blonde hockey player with a long flowing hair. So I had nothing to do with me. And then, uh, but uh, right now I realize that I mean a lot to a lot of people. Uh, I get called all the time from mothers or fathers uh, wanting me to talk to their kids because they had uh, issues at the hockey rinks, uh, parents saying something or other players or even the refs. So uh, I talked to a, a lot of few uh, kids and then, uh, 
uh, I realized that uh, there's still some issues and it's too bad because just like me, I just want to play hockey. I just wanted to be like any other little kid, just go out there, play hockey the right way and have fun and hang out with my buddies. But there's always those people that try to deny that from you. With that problem, there is a problem with racism throughout the world, and we've seen a reckoning for it definitely in the past year and a half that has come forward a lot of light, especially in the U.S. and Canada over the past year. What does hockey need to do to improve and to really tackle the problem of racism that still sees in this sport? Yeah, you know, we could talk a lot. There's a lot of good things happening in in all the different sports, uh, but uh, it's nice to see the logos, the sign, and the commercial, but... Uh, you got to start within. Uh, if we if we take the NHL for example, uh, it starts with the leadership, management, uh, diversify the the um, uh, pe- the people, the worker, people working there in management position, so they bring different ideas and and and, and help everybody understand what diversity means, inclusive inclusiveness, and and uh, for the player, the voice existing players are very important. Like. Uh, I come from an era from uh, Willie Lowry to P.K. Subban that uh, we we weren't in position to say anything. Uh, coach would call uh, call us out, sometimes saying names, and then we just had to look the other way because he had the power uh, to to decide on my career. And so the new generation, you know, that existing players, and we start saying that, and I'm very proud of that. They got to keep it up and make sure to make uh, management accountable. Uh, and that's what I think uh, the sports is going to give it be better. And uh, the young players like me, like I was, uh, you'll be able to see a role model of people, people just like us in a different position of power or, or as a player, professional players. Representation is so important. And I want to dive into that too. How have you seen representation in grow the game, especially as you're seeing more black players in the game, you're seeing some black coaches growing up the ranks. How does that representation help grow the game? Well, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, of course, it helps a lot, but uh, uh, the, the, the one of the problem is that uh, some of the teams and management, uh, they don't understand exactly, uh, and they're trying to, they're doing a good job trying to just understand. So, uh, by doing so, because, uh, you know, I I see kids looking at me, they're playing because I played uh, like Jerome Genla. So this is important, the representations were more and more and more, and uh, it's getting that way a little bit, and we got to keep going. Definitely. And when you look at, especially black women who are excelling in the sport and your daughter played hockey. She played at university of New Hampshire. She played a year professionally overseas for her to be inspired by your career. What, what impact do you, does that have knowing that, you know, she wanted to play the sport because of you and she wanted to follow in your footsteps and she wore the same number as you. When you think of that, what, what is the, the impact that has on your life? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm proud, obviously, I raised two daughters. I never had a a boy and I thought I would never have a hockey player. But after watching the Olympics in 2002 and uh, and she saw um, Canada beat uh, the the U.S. for the gold medal, she wanted to play hockey. And then 
and then she wanted to wear my number. She wanted to be like daddy, but, but uh, yeah, so she started, I coached her uh, along the way and she ended up with a scholarship and uh, makes me very proud. And just to know that hockey has had such an impact on your life and your family's life. What does the sport mean to you now, now that you're no longer a player, but you're a coach, you're a proud father of a player. What does this sport mean to you? It means a lot. It's uh, it's my way to give back. Uh, I'm part of a program here in Calgary, very in- inclusive. Uh, we got uh, kids from different uh, walk of life or ethnicity, and it's a f- uh, it's uh, it's a safe environment, and you know, enjoyable and safe environment. And I want to make sure I uh, I help the kids uh, 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 being uh, being be- better role, role model. Uh, build a good character and uh, and uh, give them a chance to succeed in life and uh, so that's what the hockey still means to me uh, I'm not trying to make a lot of money and I enjoy getting on the ice and see the little Clody who was skating around and me helping them out and um, something I wanted to go back and touch on there's been several very prominent black players in the Devils franchise history. You're one of them. Bryce Salvador was the first black captain for the franchise. You have PK Subban with the team right now. Wayne Simmons was with the team last year. How proud does it make you feel as an alum of this franchise to see some really great black players representing the Devils? Yeah, I think it's great. And they're, they are good hockey players as well. It's not, they, it's not they they were not French players. They're assistant captain, captain, and that's what we need: more leadership, more more visible minorities that that could promote the sport. So uh, you know, I, like like I always say, I, I go to the rink and I see a little Clody skating around, and I feel my I feel very proud. And to see they have the chance to play in the best league of the world, it's very exciting. Thank you so much, Claude, for joining us today. So, Catherine, what was your big takeaway from that conversation, which was so interesting? Yeah, I think one of the things that I took away is that even though things have improved in the sport and there is more diversity now than there was when Claude was playing, there still is so much more to do. And there's, you know, there's everything from needing more black players, needing more black coaches, needing more black GMs, needing more representation and also fighting together racism like it's all of our fights we all need to expel it from the sport and sure it is better than it was back then when Claude was typically the only black player on his teams but there is stuff we still need to do and I think there has been a reckoning over the past year and a half I know we've all talked about it but we need to continue and it needs to be an everyday battle and I thought it was so impactful to hear from Claude and to hear his thoughts on how important representation is. And the emotion in his voice was powerful. Yeah, Claude is one that is, he's a great storyteller. And we also talked with his daughter, Cassandra, and some of their interviews will be on our website throughout the month celebrating Black History Month. But, and she, you know, she said, he's such a great storyteller. That's one of her favorite parts (laughs) about him is that she remembers from his hockey career how much like he tells these stories and how powerful it is. So, to have Claude and to be able to honor him. He's such an important part of Devils history and the majority of his NHL career was with the Devils. So it's always great when you get to highlight someone's story, especially he's the first Haitian born player that has played in the NHL and he has broken so many boundaries. So we're just so grateful for that time. 
Well, you're not, you didn't talk to Cassandra for this podcast, but maybe give fans that are listening a little insight into who she is and they can see more about her on NewJerseyDevils.com shortly. Yeah, so Cassandra um, obviously was inspired to play hockey by her father, but actually was most inspired to play hockey because of the 2002 Olympics. She's Canadian, so even though I disagree with the result she was very inspired by team canada winning in the 2002 olympic games i of course was not happy about that loss to canada as an american but it really inspired her to want to play hockey and she actually jumped on skates um hockey skates right after that olympic she was already an ice skater because her mother actually met her father at um the olympics in the past so um she already knew how to skate she transitioned over to hockey and she started to love the game she played for three years in the United States out of college. She played for University of New Hampshire in Hockey East. And then she played two years with University of British Columbia before playing one year abroad in Sweden. And now she's following her dad's footsteps. She's volunteering in the community. She's trying to coach more and she's trying to give back to the game that's given her family so much, which is really exciting to see. And she also talked about the significance of seeing um, Sarah Nurse, one of the Canadian national team players and one of the best known women's ice hockey players in Canada actually was given a Barbie doll um, this past year and it was going out with Tim Hortons. Um, and she talked about the significance of seeing a girl like her in you know, a Barbie doll and the significance that and that impact it could have on the next generation. Well, terrific story there. Looking forward to seeing more of Cassandra's story. And uh, Chris, we're storytellers here. Catherine, we're storytellers. And we've had a lot of fun hearing stories from our guests today, Bryce Salvador and Claude Vilgrain. So that'll wrap things up for Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For Catherine Bogart and Chris Westcott, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you for your company. It's always appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and let's go Devils.